Praise God. Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing well? <clears throat> I'm so glad you're here. This is our third service of the weekend. Uh, we did first Saturday last night and had a great time. And uh, then this morning service, and then this is our last service of the weekend. I wanted to take just a minute and brag on all of you. This past Wednesday night, we had around 110 kids in Power Kids. That's kindergarten through fifth grade. Then we had about 110 teenagers, which is uh, sixth grade through 12th grade at Ground Zero. Then Friday night, uh, we did fifth quarter, and uh, we had an amazing night in fifth quarter, and we had a church service with the kids, and there were 140 students in this room. This room was packed with teenagers. And the, uh, yeah, amen. Come on, amen, amen. <clears throat> The atmosphere in that service was electric. There was an anointing in that service that was so powerful. And so this week, we, we have ministered to over 350 uh, children and teenagers. And I just wanted to take a minute, and I'm just so thankful and grateful for Kurt and Megan. They're doing such a fantastic job. They've been doing such an amazing job in Ground Zero and their team. And then our team in Power Kids has been doing such a fantastic job in Power Kids, uh, reaching children. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of a church with people like you who want to do something for God and who want to reach kids and reach teenagers. And I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful. And I just wanted to brag on Jesus and I wanted to brag on you about what God's doing in this place. Amen. 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 Praise God. Uh, I want to tell you a story this morning about a young man named Ian McCormick. Ian leaves New Zealand. He's a young man, and he's looking for the perfect wave, the perfect girl, and the perfect high as he pursues a surfer's lifestyle. And he travels through Africa and into Australia surfing. One night, he goes scuba diving with some friends of his, and he is stung by a box jellyfish. He's stung four times. One sting from a box jellyfish is usually fatal. He is stung four times. They get him out of the water, and they get him in the ambulance. And as they put him in the ambulance to take him to the hospital, this is his story. My thoughts were racing. I'm too young to die. Why did I go diving? I lay there wondering what would happen if I died. Is there anything after I die? Where will I go if I die? <clears throat> then I saw a clear vision of my mother. It was as though she was speaking out of the words she'd spoken to me so long ago. No matter how far you are from God, Ian, no matter what you've done wrong, if you'll cry out to God from your heart, he will hear you and he will forgive you. In my heart, I was thinking, do I believe there is a God? Am I going to pray? I'd almost become a devout atheist. I didn't believe anybody and I didn't believe in God. Yet I was confronted by this vision of my mother. Ian found out later that his mother had been roused awake from a dream showing that her son was dying at that very moment in New Zealand as she prayed for him. He recalled, I didn't know what to pray or who to pray to. Which God should I pray to? Buddha, Kali, Shiva? There are thousands of gods. Yet I didn't see Buddha or Krishna or any other God. I saw my mother. Listen to this next statement. And my mother's God was Jesus Christ. Now, I want to encourage you right here in this point of the story. This young man's not a Christian. He's living his own life, doing his own thing. He's having a near-death experience from being stung by these jellyfish. And what he goes back to is this one thought. My mother's God was Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this morning. Mothers, 
grandmothers, fathers, grandfathers, people. I want to encourage you. Listen, your life makes a difference. Your faith in Jesus Christ makes a difference. His mother probably would have told you that she was making no difference in his life. But when it came down to it, he began to turn to Jesus Christ because of his mother's faith. Let me continue to read. The Lord's prayer his mother taught him came to mind, but he couldn't remember it. As his elevated legs pressed the poison deeper into his brain. Ian desperately pleaded with God to help him remember. Forgive us our sins came to his mind. God, I ask you to forgive my sins, but I've done so much wrong, he said. I don't know how you can, but please forgive me of my sins. This next line came up. Forgive those who've sinned against you. Ian thought, well, I don't hold grudges. Then came the question, will you forgive the Indian that pushed you out of the car and the Chinese men that wouldn't take you to the hospital? I thought, you must be joking. But Ian says no more words would come. He realized if God could forgive him, he must also forgive others. So line by line, he prayed for God's will to be done in his life, and then he slipped away. I was weeping by now and cried out to God, why am I here? Now, he's, in, he's having an out-of-body experience, okay? He's not weeping physically. He's outside of his body. Why am I here? I asked you for forgiveness. Why am I here? I turned my life to you. Why am I here? <clears throat> then a brilliant light shone upon me and drew me out of the darkness. I could see that the source of the light was emanating from the end of a tunnel, it looked unspeakably bright, as if it were the center of the universe, the source of all light and power. It was more brilliant than the sun, more radiant than diamonds, brighter than a laser beam. As I was being translated through the air, I could see waves of light break off of this source and begin to travel toward me. The first wave of light gave off an amazing warmth and comfort. It was as though the light wasn't just natural light, but it was living light, and it transmitted emotions. The light passed into me and filled me with love and acceptance. Halfway down, another wave of light passed into me, and this light gave off total and complete peace. Listen to his statement. I tried everything I could think of to find peace and contentment in my life, and I never found it. Now, from the top of my head to the base of my feet, I found myself totally and completely in peace. Let me read to you out of John 14, 27. Jesus is speaking. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Now, let me make three simple points. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm giving you a gift. And that gift is peace of mind and heart. Then he said, the gift I have, the world cannot give you. Now, if you don't know it, and I would bet most of you do know it, the world has no peace. And it doesn't matter what you're pursuing. Eon is pursuing a surfing lifestyle. He's living that free lifestyle of traveling and surfing and looking for peace and cannot find it. Jesus said the world has no peace. But listen to what he said. I'm giving you peace and you don't have to be troubled and you don't have to be afraid. 
the last few weeks, the Spirit of God's been really ministering to me to speak the name of Jesus in my life. And as I drive and run errands and do the things I do, I've simply been saying just the name Jesus. But then I've also been doing this. I've been saying, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Jesus, thank you for being my healer. Jesus, thank you for being my peace. Let me explain something to you very powerful. Jesus can only be in your life what you let him be. What do you mean, Pastor? Most Christians allow Jesus to be their Savior, but they don't allow him to be much else in their life. So one of the ways you can change that, one of the ways I've changed it in my life is I speak it. The name of Jesus is powerful. It drives back darkness. It drives back doubt. It drives back fear. It drives back pain. And it releases the light and the love of God in your life. So I've simply just been saying it as I go through my day. Jesus, thank you for touching me. Jesus, thank you for healing me. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. So I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Let me continue to read. In the darkness, I hadn't been able to see my hands in front of my face. But now as I looked to my right and to my amazement, I saw my arm in my hand. I could see straight through me. I was transparent like a spirit, only my body was full of light. Now stop right there. I made this reference last week, and I want to emphasize it to you again. He's left his physical body. He's still himself. He sees his hand. He sees his fingers. He sees his feet. He is still himself, but he's filled with the light of God. I came out of the end of the tunnel, and I seemed to be standing upright before a source of light and power. My whole vision was taken up with this incredible light. It looked white like fire or like a mountain of cut diamonds. As I stood there, questions began racing through my heart. Is this a force, as the Buddhists say, or karma, or yin, or yang? Is this some energy or power, or is it a person? As I thought these thoughts, a voice spoke to me from inside the light. It was the same voice I heard earlier in the evening that guided me in prayer. Here's what the voice said. Ian, do you wish to return? I replied, if I'm out of my body, I don't know where I am. I wish to return. The response from this person was, if you wish to return, Ian, you must see in a new light. The moment I heard these words, see in a new light, something inside me clicked. I remembered being given a Christmas card which said, Jesus is the light of the world and God is light and in him there is no darkness. So this was God. He is light. He knew my name and he knew the secret thoughts of my heart. And here's what he thought. If this is God, then he must be able to see everything I've ever done. I felt totally exposed and transparent before God. You can wear masks before other people, but you cannot wear a mask before God. I felt ashamed and undone. My first thought was this light was going to cast me back into the darkness. But to my amazement, a wave of pure, unconditional love flowed over me. It was the last thing I expected. Instead of judgment, I was being washed with pure love, pure, unadulterated, clean, uninhibited, undeserved love. And it began to fill me from the inside out. I want to read to you out of Isaiah chapter 6, starting with verse 7. A couple of weeks ago, I told you a story about how Isaiah 
goes to heaven. And when he gets to heaven, he has a vision and he sees God. And he begins to describe this vision he has with God. And he begins to talk about how he felt. Let me read to you starting in Isaiah 6, 5. Isaiah says, then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim, which is a type of angel, flew to me with a burning coal. He'd taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Ian has the same experience Isaiah does. When they see God, they they feel undone. They feel transparent. They feel like God can see everything they've done. What happens to Isaiah is the same thing that's happened to us. Why did the angel get a coal off of the altar? Because in the New Testament, Jesus died on the cross, and the Bible says he's our burnt offering. What does that mean, Pastor? In the Old Testament, the priests would take innocent animals. They would slay them, spill their blood, and burn their bodies, their carcasses, on the altar. And it was a burnt offering before God. And it says that the smoke that went up was a sweet aroma to the nostrils of God because it represented forgiveness. You see, you don't have to be touched with a coal. You've been touched with the blood of Jesus. Now, how did you get touched with the blood of Jesus? When you said, Jesus, come into my life. A coal didn't touch your lips. The blood did. And Jesus is your sacrifice. Jesus is your burnt offering. And you're pure before God. It's very important that you understand that. Let me continue to read. I was so close, I wondered if I could step into the light that surrounded God and see him face to face. So I stepped into the light. It was like suspended stars or diamonds going off all around me. As I walked through the light, it continued to heal me. Standing in the center of this light was a man with a dazzling white robe down to his ankles, and I could see his bare feet. The garments were not made of fabric, but were made of light. I lifted my eyes, and I saw the chest of this man, and his arms were outstretched as if to welcome me. I looked for his face. It was so bright, it seemed to be ten times brighter than the light I'd already seen. It made the sun look yellow and pale in comparison. It was so bright, I couldn't make out his face. I knew that I was standing in the presence of Jesus Christ. Paul is exiled in the New Testament to an island. It's called the Isle of Patmos. He was a Christian, and he was bold about his faith. And those that were in authority at that time didn't like it. And so they didn't put him in a physical prison. They put him on an island that became a prison. They put him in a boat. They sent him out to this island, and they left him there. And he was basically imprisoned on this island. There weren't bars there, but he couldn't get off the island. While he's there, he hears a noise, and as he hears a noise, he turns to see what it is, and it's Jesus. And in Revelation, he describes what he sees. Now, Ian has described what he saw, and he said that the light in the face of Jesus was so bright that it was like looking at the sun. Listen to what John says. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Now, the phrase son of man is a reference to Jesus. Jesus called himself the son of man. 
So listen to what he says. He says he looked like the son of man. He was wearing a long robe with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Now let me help you understand something. He's trying to describe light. See, Jesus is not white-headed in the sense like we think white-headed. Okay, he's trying to describe what he sees with a language that's really hard to describe. And what he sees is Jesus who looks like light. Let me continue. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like brass refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. Now, Jesus does not have a sword physically coming out of his mouth. That's a reference to the Word of God. The Bible says in Ephesians that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. See, anytime as a Christian, when you read a verse out loud, when you speak God's Word, you know what you're doing? You're using the sword of the Spirit. So this is a reference to Jesus speaking the Word of God. Let me continue. Here's the last part. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. John sees the very same thing that Ian does in his near-death experience. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. And he laid his hand on me and said, and I love this part right here. Don't miss this. All of these men have the same experiences. Jesus reaches out and touches John. He's on the ground because he sees this being of light. And he touches him and listen to what he says to him. He says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died. But look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the correlation between Ian's story and the correlation between John's story in the New Testament. They both saw Jesus. They both said he was as bright as the sun, but Jesus touches John, and Ian has the same experience. They're not afraid, and Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. I love you, and I care about you. That's an amazing story, amen? All right, let me continue to read to you. They did a study of 500 Americans and 500 people from India. Here's what the critics say. Okay, you're having these near-death experiences, but since you've been taught to be a Christian, you're seeing Jesus because that's what you've been taught. So as your brain is dying, you're seeing these images of a God you've been taught to believe in. So they studied people from America, but then they studied people from India who were not Christians. So they don't know to think about Jesus because they've never been taught about Jesus. Listen to what they found. Not one person who had a near-death experience saw Krishna. Krishna has blue skin. No one saw Siva, who has three eyes. No one saw the Hindu god, which is named Supreme Brahma. See, the Hindus believe when you die, you become a part of the great nothingness, that you're a part of 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 a source in the universe. All right, here's what's interesting. Nobody saw those things. They studied 500 people from India, and none of them saw those things. Here's what they saw. They saw the description that the Old Testament prophets gave, which was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So even in India, they don't see the Indian gods. They see Jesus. Now, there's two things that people that had near-death experiences say is a common experience. Here's what they are. The first, they were overwhelmed by love and compassion. Lots of these people aren't Christians. But they're overwhelmed with the love of God and with compassion. I think that's amazing. Here's the second thing they said. God emphasized to them the impact 
of their actions on others. Now, I don't want you to miss this. They experienced love and compassion from God, but then God emphasized to them that their actions, their attitudes, their words impacted other people. Listen to me. God's business is people. God's business has always been people. And your attitude toward people affects how you live and affects how they live. And what's interesting in these stories is they're asked by God why they did the things that they did. Let me read to you in John 13, 35. John 13, 35, Jesus is speaking. If you remember a few weeks ago, I taught a series called I Love My Church. We still have our blue signs up. And we talked about what's it look like to be a Christian. Is it about having a lot of knowledge? Is it about being in church? We found out it's not about those things. Here's what Jesus said being a Christian is about. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. The only measuring stick Jesus uses. Now, he he uses one measuring stick. Okay, hey, Jesus, I'm a follower of you. Here's his one measuring stick. Do you love? Now, I could preach all day about love. I could preach weeks about love. But here's what I know about love. Lots of times we don't love because we think it's weak. We don't think it's manly. We think it's compromise. Well, if I love you, then I must agree with what you're doing. And none of those things are true. The most powerful force in the universe is love. And we know what held Jesus on the cross was not nails, but was love. Amen? All right. Let me tell you one more story about a young woman from India named Sama. She's attending a church service in a Middle Eastern country, and a terrorist goes, bomb goes off, and she's killed. Listen to what she says. I was thrown 10 feet in the air and smashed against a wall. I called out to Jesus silently in my agony, Jesus, help me. And in that instant, my spirit left my body, and I died. When I opened my eyes, I saw a brilliant white light illuminating toward me. It was Jesus the Son of Man, the Son of God. His face was brighter than the sun, and he was so glorious. It was as if Jesus could see through me, and he's reading all the thoughts of my heart. My whole body was shaking, and I felt so unworthy in his presence. He radiated an amazing love that contained deep acceptance. I felt no condemnation or shame. Welcome home, Sama, he said in a voice that was sweet yet powerful. It sounded like many waters. He opened his arms toward me, and his beautiful eyes were like blazing fire, and they drew me in like a magnet. Do you want to go back, or do you want to stay here, Jesus said. Then he showed me my life. As if I was seeing snapshots of a movie, I watched myself growing up. The 19 years I'd lived passed in front of my eyes. After seeing the choices I made, I realized I'd been living for my own agenda, and I repented. Listen to what she says. Don't miss this. She said, oh, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. All of my life, I've been living for myself. My ways, my dreams, my desires, my plans. But it's not about me. It's all about you. And very shortly after that, Jesus sends her back, and she goes back into her body. Let me tell you a story about a little girl named Akiana. She's four years old, and she lives in Lithuania. Today I met God, whispered Akiana to her mother. What is God, asked her mother, who was raised as an atheist in Lithuania. God is light, he's warm, and he's good, and he knows everything, and he talks to me, and he's my parent. 
The family, don't miss this, the family had never talked religion, never talked about God, never gone to church, and they did not own a TV. Who is your God, asked her mother. I cannot tell you. You cannot tell your own mother. The light told me not to. Little Akiana held firm. About the same time, she claimed to have visits with God, and she began to draw. Now, she's four years old. Her drawings as a four-year-old surpassed high school-level students, and it was miraculous what she began to draw. By the age of eight years old, she painted a picture of Jesus that gained worldwide attention. She has this vision. that She doesn't have a near-death experience. She's a little girl in Lithuania who knows nothing about God, has an experience with Jesus Christ. As a four-year-old, she begins to draw, and as an eight-year-old, she draws a portrait of Jesus. Now, let me connect you to the next story. This goes together. There's a little boy who's four years old named Colton Burpo. If you've never heard of him, he's a little boy that they made the movie, Heaven is for Real. If you've seen that movie, that's who that little boy is. If you haven't seen that movie, I would encourage you to get a copy of it. It's called Heaven is for Real. Four-year-old Colton was in the back seat as they passed the hospital where he had died. When his father asked him, do you want to go back? Colton blurted out, the angels sang to me there. When asked what songs they sang, he explained, they sang Jesus Loves Me and Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho. Then Colton grew solemn and said, Dad, Jesus held me in his lap because I was afraid. He said, Jesus nonchalantly held me and talked to me. Colton claimed to have left his body. He watched the doctor from the air. He could see his father in another room shouting at God because his son was dying. And he saw his mother on her cell phone in the lobby. He gave more and more details that a four-year-old could not know, and his parents began to think he had a real experience. Days later, Colton was playing with his X-Men figures, and his dad said, Son, what did Jesus look like? He put his toys down, and he said, Dad, he had brown hair, and he had hair on his face. And Dad, his eyes were so pretty. Colton said he looked as if his eyes were a flame of fire, and they were blue. His father said, Son... Jesus can't have blue eyes. He's a Jewish man, and most Jewish men have brown eyes. So over the next two years, every time they would see a portrait of Jesus, Colton's dad would say, son, is that what Jesus looked like? And we'd always say no. One evening, two years later on CNN, they're watching, and Akiana's portrait that she painted as an eight-year-old was on the news, and they said Colton pointed to it and said, dad, that's Jesus. Now, Akiana said he had blue eyes. Colton said he had blue eyes. And both of their parents didn't believe it. Well, as they began to do some research, they found out that Jesus, of course, we know is from the tribe of Judah. The Bible calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that there is a gene within that tribe where some men have blue eyes. And I want to show you the portrait that she painted of Jesus as an eight-year-old. Now, an eight-year-old little girl painted that portrait. A four-year-old little boy from around the world saw it and said, Daddy, that's Jesus. I think that's pretty amazing. And then she painted him with blue eyes. Now, here's all I want to do this morning. I hope these stories stir your heart toward eternity. I hope they stir your heart 
toward the love of God and that Jesus Christ loves you. And just as he had these experiences with these people, he loves you, he cares about you, and he wants to minister to you. Can I get you to bow your head with me, please, and let me pray for you? Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, just for privacy, not not to be religious, I just want to take a moment this morning. And you're here this morning, and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I know Jesus, and I'd like to know him this morning before I leave. Or you may be here and think, Pastor, I, I accepted Jesus, and maybe it was a while back, and I would like to renew my relationship with him. I would love to take a moment and pray with you. You're here, and you say, Pastor, I need Jesus, or Pastor... I need to renew my relationship. Could I get you to hold your hand up where I could see it and where God could see it? Yeah, I see those hands all over the room. I see those hands all over the room. More importantly, God sees. Now, I'm going to pray a simple believer's prayer, and I would appreciate it as I pray if you would repeat it back to me. Say, Father God, I come to you now, and I thank you for Jesus, that he died on the cross, raised from the dead, for me. Jesus, come into my life. I give you my heart. Be my Savior. Lead me, guide me, and take care of me. In Jesus' name, amen.